we have to stop thinking that we're like too fragile to do this. In fact, doing these sorts of things in a sensible way with a, with a good plan and, and paying attention to our bodies and giving enough recovery and the nutrition to support it is how we become more resilient. Welcome to the Wits and Weights podcast. I'm your host, Philip Pape, and this twice-a-week podcast is dedicated to helping you achieve physical self-mastery by getting stronger, optimizing your nutrition, and upgrading your body composition. We'll uncover science-backed strategies for movement, metabolism, muscle, and mindset with a skeptical eye on the fitness industry so you can look and feel your absolute best. Let's dive right in. Wits and Weights community, welcome to another episode of the Wits and Weights podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Steph Godro, sports nutritionist and lifting coach. I learned about Steph through her podcast, Fuel Your Strength, and I was immediately drawn in by her practical science-backed advice for women over 40 who want to step into their strength and her philosophy that, quote, lifting weights is a catalyst for a more expansive life. Ooh, that's so good. <laughs> in, today, in today's episode, we're getting into lifting, performance, and nutrition for athletic women over 40. And if you think you're not an athlete, think again. Steph will teach you about low energy availability, workout nutrition, carbs, protein, and of course, why you need to be strength training. We will address gym intimidation, the unique challenges for women over 40, and of course, the emotional and mental side of it all. Steph Godreau helps athletic women over 40 fuel themselves better, get stronger, increase their energy, and perform better in the gym. In her best-selling book, The Core Four, she details a four-pillar approach to getting stronger, embracing your body, and owning your power. Steph is trained in biology and human physiology and is a certified sports nutritionist from the International Society for Sports Nutrition. She's also a USA weightlifting sports performance coach. Her podcast, Fuel Your Strength, started in 2015 and has over 4 million downloads. Steph, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. So one story that you shared on, I think it's maybe on your Instagram profiles that 11 years ago, a nutritionist said that you had, quote, surprisingly low food intake considering your volume and performance level. Mm. Uh, you said you were struggling with mood swings, soreness, nagging injuries, and that that was a catalyst for learning what was going on with your body and mm -hmm. then eventually helping and educating other athletic women. So tell us more about that wake-up call and then what it led to. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, I'll try to keep it succinct because I know we have a lot of content to get through, but I've been an athlete my whole life participating in everything from yeah, childhood team sports um, all the way up through competing at CrossFit regionals, um, triathlons, all sorts of stuff. So I've, I've been in it and done a lot of things. And really, no one ever sat me down and said, you need to make sure you're eating enough. And this is how you do it. And by the way, these are also the outcomes that can happen if you if you don't properly fuel yourself. It's not just your performance may suffer. And of course, as a performance-minded person, that mattered a lot to me. So I had just come off of a very long period of time, about eight years of racing bikes. I finished off at the sort of like endurance distance level. I was racing 12-hour solo races, 24-hour races on teams, like putting in so much work on the bike, tra transitioned over to also doing Xterra triathlons, and then kind of burned out from that and didn't realize at the time, you know, looking back, hindsight is always twenty twenty you think, wow, a lot of that probably had to do with just being so underfueled um, to really promote that burnout. And I transitioned over into lifting weights, which I'm super glad that, you know, looking back that that thing happened to me that I burned out. And I was like, I need to really get serious about just not basing like all of my self-worth on how small I can be. And a lot of the things that I was doing that encouraged that and found lifting and got really <laughs> into lifting and really into CrossFit, which was great. But again, I still didn't have the knowledge of this is how we need to fuel for this kind of training. This, you know, this is like a, a heavily glycolytic endeavor. You're doing a lot of heavy lifting. Like this is how you would approach fueling in that way. My performance was really tapering off. I was starting to deal with a lot of injury. And I eventually said, you know, does anybody <laughs> here like work with a nutrition person? And uh, at the time I was teaching high school, so I wasn't even in this career yet. And um, I connected with a sports nutritionist and I, you know, did a, a week worth of food log, sent it into him and basically got that reply back. Like, 
Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, you're, you're significantly under eating for the kind of training that you're doing. And that was really, I don't know if it was like, I think in the back of my mind, I knew something was going on, but again, I didn't know these principles at the time. And it was, it was hard. Like I got a list of things I should improve. And mm-hmm. I always tell people like, I probably wasn't the most compliant <laughs> client mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. time. Because I found some of the things were really challenging to me in terms of like the fears that I had or, um, you know, not really knowing how to approach it. So that was a huge turning point for me. I went on um, a few months later. So that was kind of the end of 2012, went on uh, in 2013 in May to compete on a team uh, at CrossFit Regionals. And I will tell you, I was like a different athlete at that time. Mm -hmm. Like it was an amazing weekend. I felt like I performed probably in the top three performances, like in terms of athleticism and sport of my whole life. Um, it was just, I really turned it around and making sure that I was eating enough was a huge part of that. So it might sound really obvious to a lot of people like, Hey, you just got to eat enough. But at the time, I mean, it wasn't something that was really going through the forefront of my mind. So yeah, that, that's such a great story. And there's a lot of things I want to pick out of that. But yeah. even just the principle, like I, I'm a big fan of principles and just the 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 idea of it as fuel or um, helping out with health and these other outcomes and eating enough. Like you said, it's simple. Honestly, a lot of people just start there and they don't need to worry about timing and you know mm-hmm. supplementation, let alone everything else. So you, you said originally it, you were told or you found out that it uh, doesn't just affect performance, but mm. other health o- outcomes. So what do you yeah. mean by that? Yeah, for sure. So I think, you know, growing up, I was in high school in the 90s. <laughs> People want to figure out how old I am. I'm 44. Um, and, you know, I had heard about things like, for example, female athlete triad. That was a thing that came out. It was first came out in the literature in 1992. So, um, you know, kind of figure, figure out the math there. Like it's something I had thought about, I had heard about, but I thought to myself, well, I don't have an eating disorder. I I don't think I have osteoporosis and I haven't lost my period. Well, actually I don't know because I'm on birth control. So um, at that time, right, it was hard to say like, did I actually have, would I have had a a natural cycle if I was um, not on oral contraceptives? So, but in my, again, in my mind, I was like, well, these are the three things that can happen to you if you don't eat enough. And I don't think I'm displaying any of these, so I should be fine. So um, that's not the full story, right? And we know now that instead of just female athlete triad, right, that underfueling can affect athletes and athletic individuals. You don't have to be an elite athlete. You could be recreationally training, you know, training for fun, just for your own improvement and enjoyment. But that underfueling affects all people, regardless of um, sexual, um, like, mm-hmm. you know, assigned at birth, you know, male, female, et cetera, um, and can affect um, all these different levels of athletic individuals. So, um, instead of just a female athlete triad, the symptoms of low energy availability and sort of the outcomes of low energy availability were expanded into something called red S. Mm-hmm. So relative energy deficiency in sport, um, the IOC came out with kind of their first statement on this in 2014, and then it was updated in 2018. And now more people are becoming aware that it's not just performance aspects that are going to take a hit if you're in this chronic low energy availability state. And you don't also, by the way, have to be a woman for this to affect you. So we see, you know, things um, happening in all athletes. So it's not just our performance, right? We may have um, issues with our immune health, issues with our digestive health, issues with our psychological health. Um, It's really across the board that we may start to see symptoms in um, what's going on as a result of Mm underfueling. So low energy availability being the driver, and that doesn't always mean that you're, um, you know, intentionally under eating either, right? You could just have picked up uh, a little bit more training. Maybe you're training for something new and you don't realize how much more energy you're expending. So you may not be purposefully, purposefully under eating. Um, but of course, you may see that there are outcomes because you don't have enough fuel coming in once you've accounted for your activity mm-hmm. level, which is what low energy availability really is to maintain the optimal health of these other systems, right? So reproductive system, bone health, right? Are some of the the common ones that we, we might know about, but this is really can be a, a, a system wide um, or across organ systems outcomes that people are dealing with and may not even know that it's down to yeah. the, the lack of energy intake. 
Yeah, that, and that's huge because it, it often we often try to overcomplicate things when it comes to our health that we need to address these 10 or 15 issues. And, mm-hmm. and you told us a story about um, both the mental side of this, like when you're talking about being focused on being small, right, or how small you can mm-hmm. be and transitioning away from that, of yeah. transitioning from high, high endurance sports to more strength focused, even though they were highly glycolytic, right, uh, requiring lots of energy, you know, for people who aren't familiar with the term, right, um, glycogen and so on. Um, and then men and women both face this. Now, do you find that it's it's women predominantly that have this issue in, in particular? Because so you've got people who are overweight, right, or think are overweight or whatever we, term we want to use that may have been gaining weight slowly over time. And then we have people that are maybe underfed. And then we have people who are sedentary versus active in both those states. Mm-hmm. So where do we break where do we break it up um, and categorize those different things in terms of the low energy availability you talked about? Well, we really have to look at our activity level as as kind of driving, you know, part of what's going on here. So we have our basal metabolic rate, right, which is the amount of energy that we're going through if we were completely <laughs> bedridden or lying down all day long. And this is such a simple concept, yet very misunderstood, right? In that our bodies are requiring energy to run all of our background processes, even if we're doing nothing. A lot of times we associate, oh, I, you know, I went and exercised. So people will say things like, oh, I went and exercised. So like I quote unquote earned like this treat or this dessert, right? We have a lot of transactional relationships with like, I exercise, therefore I can sure. eat more or I'm I'm like burning off that cheesecake. I mean, if, if we had a dollar for every time we've heard those sorts of things, mm-hmm. but we need energy even if we're purely at rest. So we have our basal metabolic rate. Um, then we have things like our non-exercise activity. So, you know, fidgety. I'm moving around here and moving my hands, you know, uh, lifting up a fork. I mean, getting dressed, like putzing around your house, all those things, non-exercise activity. We have our purposeful exercise, our purposeful activity, right? So we're gauging in mm-hmm. in actual structure and exercise. Um, and then we have our thermic effective food, which is the small, uh, relatively small amount that we're we're using energy to actually digest and assimilate the food that we're eating. So when we look at those things, like what can we shift the most? So we're talking about the difference between somebody is a sedentary versus somebody highly active. There's, there's could be a few things going on here. Um, you know, the bigger our body is, the more energy we are using. So that's mm-hmm. something to consider. But when we're looking at what do we have a lot of direct control over, it is sometimes those non-exercise activity um, moments, I guess we'll say. So like how kind of active are we overall? And then are we engaging in exercise and like what is the intensity and duration of that so we still have a we have a baseline energy need and then we're going to be layering more on top of that based on those other factors and i think that that's something where people can sometimes get a little bit stuck in the weeds of like am i doing more moderate exercise am i getting zone two you know just a little bit of exercise you know versus somebody who's has a highly physically active job is on their feet you know maybe they're labor a laborer of some kind, like they're going to be going through a lot of energy. So it's not always just in the the exercise portion that we need to look. But I think that that can give folks a pretty decent starting point to start kind of estimating where they're at. Sure. Um, and then knowing, of course, if we're going to be doing something like strength training and trying to build up our muscle mass, like that means that, you know, we're taking that longer view, but we are potentially adding more metabolically active tissue, like that will raise some of these energy consumption. Um, buckets, if you will. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and we can ha- actually use that to our advantage. Yeah. I sometimes talk about it as like increasing the size of the pie, right? When you build mm-hmm. that muscle mass. Um, let's, you've mentioned the word athlete a few times. So I definitely yeah. want to dig into that. That's a fun, <laughs> fun part of this whole thing, right? Yeah. You, you know, you're a, spo- you're, you're a sports nutritionist, you're a lifting coach, you have mm-hmm. a background in biology, background in physiology, mm-hmm. and you apply all these principles to athletic women over 40. So now how do you define athlete? In yeah. that context, why why women over 40 as well? I want to understand both aspects of that for you. Yeah, for sure. So I think first and foremost, when it comes to the word or the concept of an athlete, there's a lot of gatekeeping around this term, mm-hmm. frankly. And I've seen some hot takes on the in- on Instagram or the internet about like, oh, you're not an athlete unless you've ever competed in at least something in your life or, oh, you're not an athlete unless you're at this level of competency or, you know, um, like, let's say you you 
compete on a, a national team or an international team. I mean, there's just so much. It. People want to label everybody. There's just so much, yeah. so much debate. And to me, someone who's an athlete is somebody who's engaging in like intentional exercise. And you, you may have a goal in mind, like you're, you're showing up with purpose in what you do. Mm-hmm. Period. Right. So that's, that encompasses a lot of people. The problem with that is that that identity for a lot of people is something that they've taken off the table as an option. Maybe when they were in high school, Mm -hmm. they had to do the, I don't know, we had to run what the mile presidential fitness Mm -hmm. test, all that stuff. And maybe uh, you were like, I sucked at this. I sucked at running. I hated it. Maybe you had a coach that really was like, you're not good enough to be on this team. You're not athletic. I got cut from freshman basketball, so <laughs> I totally get it. No one gets cut from freshman basketball, by the way. So hey, I, I, was, I hear you. I, I couldn't do a pull up when I was that age, and it was embarrassing, right? you know. Or you yeah. had to climb a rope yeah. uh, in gym class, and you failed, or like whatever that happens to be. A lot of people have taken that off the table, or we look up to elite athletes as setting the standard and saying, mm-hmm. "Do you swim like Michael Phelps? Probably right. not. So you're you not paid, an athlete, right? Or, or yeah. <laughs> do you yeah. get paid to work yeah. out? Are you professional?" Um, you know, have you ever been to the Olympics? Probably not. So you're not an athlete. So we have that, that sense of I'm not an athlete, but that can affect that identity or that rejection of that identity, that piece of your identity or working to become or not become a person who is athletic really changes the habits that you engage in or how you see the importance of things like making sure we're eating enough. And, you know, like you said earlier, is everybody working out or training to the extent that they need to really worry as much about things like nutrient timing or supplementation. I mean, it's going to vary, but at the end of the day, for somebody who is working to become a more athletic person or a more fit person, they might do things like understand that they need to prioritize their recovery Mm -hmm. a little bit differently, or like sleep is going to be more important. Or making sure that they're not skipping a bunch of meals every day. And and these this is where the rubber meets the road for most people that I work with, most of the women that I work with, right? They're trying to figure out, okay, once I have that knowledge and I'm leaning into that identity, how am I actually going to do that? Like, what are the systems, the structures, the environments, the social support that I need in order to make these things happen? Oh, it's so good. Showing up with purpose in what you do, right? It's kind of like mm-hmm. the difference between training and exercise when we yes. talk about lifting. Uh, yeah, the same absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And so why women over 40? Um, <laughs> it's hard to define exactly when perimenopause begins because it's different for every person, right? It could be your late 30s, you start noticing changes. It could be your late 40s, right? We have this like window of time for the most part, unless it's um, an early, early onset. Um, which is a a different kind of um, condition to deal with. Mm -hmm. But looking at that, just that transition that we're going through, right? Going through a physiological transition from pre-menopause into post-menopause. And also the reason I say over 40 is there's just a lot of challenges that happen in this phase of life. Mm -hmm. Like midlife is no joke, (laughs) right? So you might have um, mounting pressures at work. You might have shifting family dynamics. Maybe you have kids and your kids are getting older and they're like leaving the nest, so to say. Um, Maybe they're like not leaving the nest and you have to deal with that. I don't know. Um, You know, relationship challenges, those sorts of things. And then of course, the biological challenges that are going to come with that and how it affects how people see themselves as well. So there's, you know, a lot of continued body image challenges that women are dealing with, um, understanding how our training potentially needs to change. So we're looking at how do we, you know, not necessarily make drastic changes, but how are we going to understand why we're shifting in the way that we are? And even things as simple as giving yourself more flexibility. Whereas before, when you were younger, you might've just been able to really power through no matter what, (laughs) right? Or really just burn the candle at both ends and, and not pay as much attention to some of the other stuff like soft tissue recovery and some of the other things that we know we need. Um, and then also, of course, looking at the the muscle and bone elements as well. But, yeah. you know, things are shifting and changing. And are we going to com- continue to just harken back to what we always did? Because it's familiar, which, by the way, change is scary and doing new things is scary. So we need support. Mm-hmm. But, you know, are we going to just keep 
going back to what we did because it's the familiar or are we going to evolve our training as we go and yeah. um yeah. That's the million dollar question. <laughs> yeah. And it can be a, a very exciting new phase of your life. It really can. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm 42, so we're similar age range. Mm-hmm. And I didn't personally focus on my health as much as I could have, should have, whatever, until I was almost 40 when, you know, the rubber hits the road, you're getting to this, this current turning point in your life. And like all the decisions of your youth are, are finally catching up. Like they really mm-hmm. are. You made those decisions at a time when they didn't really affect you. <laughs> yeah. And now they're kind of accumulating. And but you have some something that you can do about it, which is the empowering message that I think you have. And when you mm-hmm. add like women over forty into the mix, where there's other things that from because of you know biological reasons and otherwise from hormones that make it that can make it confusing and, and complicated. But you try to cut through that and and help them move forward. So it, it's it's super inspiring. Um, let's talk about um, what do we want to talk about next? Let's talk about the, we talked about fueling your training. Um, mm-hmm. But and the importance of just basic energy needs. But now let's go to the next level of importance beyond that, whether mm-hmm. it's macronutrients, timing, carbs, protein, all that fun yeah. stuff. And by the <laughs> way, for those listening, if you don't already listen to uh, Steph's podcast, like you break these things down in detail each episode, like very clearly. So it's a like masterclass and all this stuff. Trying. <laughs> uh, so just just for the different modes of training, yeah. the, the, what are the basics, basic recommendations here? Yeah. So I mean, I think if we're thinking about being over forty um, mm-hmm. in general. Um, the first thing that we need to think about is our protein intake across the board. I mean, whether you're, yeah, there's some variants, like, are you heavily into like endurance sports, ultra endurance sports, like how you slice and dice sort of your protein versus carbohydrate and Mm -hmm. fat is going to vary a little bit. But what we know for the most part from the research is like, if we're looking at aging and we're looking at things like basic protein needs. We're going to need more protein as we age, not less, which surprises a lot of people because they're like, but, uh, you know, what? Yeah. I, like I, maybe I'm not as active or I'm not lifting as quote unquote as heavy, but we, especially if we're going through the, the perimenopause into menopause transition, we're starting to see kind of a shift in the balance of, unless we're doing something about it, right. Of more muscle protein breakdown versus muscle protein synthesis, the loss of estrogen and its effects on, you know, muscle satellite cells and, and kind of getting nerdy about that science. And not no, to- let's get, let's get one extra nerdiness <laughs> on that. Um, Cause I always wonder about this. I know yeah. the muscle protein synthesis slows with age. I know in women, I believe it, that accelerates also mm-hmm. at, with the age. Uh, is it, is it solely a function of the things you just mentioned, or is it also because you have not been building that muscle mass? Yeah. And, and I, then that correlates with age. I think we're seeing, um, you know, a, a push to include that in the conversation. Like, is it, is, are we, are we solely seeing that like aging and that loss of muscle mass and then potentially like clinical sar- levels of sarcopenia, which is muscle loss? Mm-hmm. Like, is that solely due to inactivity and like lack of lifting and so on and so forth? Or is that just natural aging and so on and so forth? And I think the, the answer, if I had to make a guess, is probably it's a little bit of both. Bit of both. Um, yeah. And so, of course, if we, um, stay strength training, for example, um, through our 40s, 50s, 60s, like, can we maintain a, a portion of what we've built, right? Mm-hmm. Or can we build more tissue? Yes. Like, does it mean we're going to experience no loss of, for example, muscle tissue or or bone? Um, it seems to be, as far as I'm aware, that we're still going to have some loss, mm-hmm. right? And as far as what the research is saying. So it's probably a little bit of both. And I think this is the the thing that makes it exciting slash hopeful for people mm-hmm. is like there are things we can do and I think that that's I will keep coming back to that because if we feel like it's hopeless like that's where we get a little bit into those mindsets of like what's the point why bother um, and then we know that we can positively affect that so yes like having adequate protein intake to help drive muscle protein synthesis and in combination with <laughs> resistance training. Mm-hmm. We see so many studies where they're looking at the things um, like sort of the effect of whether it's creatine supplementation on bone. And I was just talking to Dr. Darren Kandow about this, they did this big study in Canada on this, and they looked at creatine supplementation along with resistance training. So if we know if we have that mechanical tension from resistance training, we have that microscopic damage to our muscle tissue that then causes growth and repair. Um, we have an adequate protein intake to support that, mm-hmm. that we're going to see a better outcome. So, um, you know, women in general, you know, I think 
again, what it comes down to for people is like not in the knowledge of like, oh, I need more protein, but then what does that actually look like? And how do I do that mm-hmm. in all of the habits that I have? But yeah, looking to to have that adequate protein intake and, you know, just like ballpark here, we're kind of looking in that 1.6 to 2.2 grams per kg body weight range. There's lots of ways that you're you're going to like customize this for you. Yep. So, but but that's more than even kind of what the going level for sedentary individuals is these days, which is more like that 1.2, maybe a little bit higher. Right. So yeah, we need more protein for sure. And then looking at carbohydrate intake, just based on, again, like what, what does our training look like? What does our activity look like? Are we endurance athletes that, that we're, you know, training for a marathon or something of that nature where we're doing a lot more just, um, we have a lot more energy expenditure and output. Um, are we doing a lot of glycolytic training? You know, if I'm, for example, somebody who's mainly lifting weights and walking, d- does my carbohydrate level need to be at the, at the level of somebody training for an Ironman? Mm-hmm. No. Unlikely, mm-hmm. right? So yep. understanding how we have our total energy needs and then how we divvy that up. Protein is kind of staying, it's like the middle of that seesaw, like kind of staying consistent because we have that absolute need for protein. And then how do we, um, you know, like raise the carbohydrate need um, and then sort of like balance it out with our fat intake so that we're, we're in that, you know, isocaloric range. Right. We're trying to build a little bit. We're maybe a little bit over, but um, we're making sure that like those pieces come together. Yeah. Quick follow up on the protein versus carbs for endurance athletes. I don't know mm-hmm. how many of those types of athletes you work with versus just the the run of the mill gen pop who lifts and walks and mm-hmm. does some cardio. Um, yeah. Is is the concern more toward like lead up to an event and then the event itself, or is there a a continual period during the training that you kind of have to sacrifice a bit of that protein to get the carbs in? Um, I tend to not work with people who are really in that yeah. very long endurance slash ultra endurance crowd. I am working more uh, with more people now though who are understanding the importance of just cardiovascular training and like <laughs> you're doing more of that cardiovascular training. Um, is it always like at an intense level? No, but again, it's like you may have to shift a- again, looking at the, um, our sort of like total energy need and then how we partition that out. Um, so there are some people who are doing ultra endurance type pursuits mm-hmm. and they, they end up shaving a little bit off of their protein need just to account for the extra carbohydrate need. Um, but I think we're coming to understand that like we need to kind of keep that as, as high as possible without sacrificing, um, you know, any, uh, any muscle mass in the process or as little sacrificing as little muscle mass in the process. And that is definitely something that I experienced when I was doing all my endurance training. Um, and again, I was doing kind of like ultra, not ultra, but like longer endurance, um, events. Uh, I was just like, could not hang on to muscle mass. Muscle was just like sliding off my body, um, at, at a certain point because I just was not keeping up with my overall calorie needs. Um, and my protein, I like, I had, I have no idea if I had to like even think about how much protein I was eating, right. but it wasn't very much. You had so, priorities. You had priorities, you know, <laughs> for that for that mode of training. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes they'll will they'll scoot it down, they'll scoot uh, protein down a little bit to account for like the the higher um, calorie allotment that needs to go to carbohydrate. Okay. What now? Do you work primarily? So let's say a client comes in who has kind of the I guess traditional narrative of like feel they need to lose some weight. Um, Mm -hmm. are you working primarily in the kind of body recomp and, and lifting and muscle building side of the phases, or do you also dip into fat loss regularly with your clients? I am pretty much solely focused on how do we help get you stronger and put some muscle on your body. Yeah. Um, (laughs) you know, there, there, there are a lot of clients or a lot of students that I have who will have a desire at some point to do some body recomp. And, you know, I think like that's, if there's, if they want to go and like seek that out, like secondarily. Um, but I think there's this notion that we have to, we have to diet down and then we're going to go do muscle building. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I hear that a lot. You yep. know, so I'm, I'm like, let's focus, let's get you focused on building what you need to build, like get your strength up, like lay the foundation of getting some more muscle on your frame so that you are able to see your metabolism um, be a little bit more resilient and like yes. less leveraged down into this like little box of, I don't know that like 
a thousand to thirteen hundred calorie range that mm-hmm. a lot of women are in this like they're like i I can't seem to like eat anymore or I see my my um you know, body composition start shifting in, in a way that I don't like. And I'm like, we need to, you know, slowly get you <laughs> eating a little bit more, like relax some of the, those like restrictive rules that you've had and get you to a place where you're more, you're more stable, like what I would basically call more like maintenance. And then if you want to go and pursue that other stuff, but if you try to just go on, um, you know, if you try to do a fat loss phase, your protein is not adequate. And you're not resistance training. Yeah, we're going to end up in the same exact situation yeah, that you've been in, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the the tactic that that I personally take with um, with my clients and my students is like, let's get you to that more to that maintenance level. Like, let's get you feeling strong. Let's get you feeling like you can sleep again. Your recovery is better. You're feeling better overall. And mm-hmm. then, like, then if it's necessary for you to kind of dial things back, but the problem is, like I said, a lot of my clients come in and they realize they've been under eating. They don't have a lot of distance left to cut, if any at all. Mm-hmm. And if they do, they're going to end up eating less than their basal metabolic rate or pretty close to it. And you tend to feel not so hot if you're doing not, that for not a good thing. <laughs> long periods of time. So, you know, okay. that's, um, that's my approach. Well, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I wanted to invite you on because I think we need to have more of that message. There are many, 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 you know, dieting type coaches out there um, and sure. not enough talking about building first. Um, and I've seen it with clients as well who came in wanting to lose weight and hold on, let's just hang out here for a while and start lifting weights. And you just see a, a transformation in their mindset in so many ways. I think just the act of lifting and the physiological and hormonal response from that just elevates your mood. There's, 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 there's actual pathways, right? That mm-hmm. make us feel better about what we're doing. And then as the waist size decreases anyway, like, okay, as a side benefit, it is improving my body composition. So sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. People, I think just end up coming to a bit of a more, I'm not going to say it's without challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are always like, Oh, when you started lifting weights, like, did you, get, did you get smaller? Did you lose weight or, and I'm like, no, I got bigger. I had to get bigger clothes. Mm-hmm. But I'm way was way happier, (laughs) felt way better. Um, So you know, I think it's important to have those conversations too. And recently, I was chatting with a friend of mine um, on her Instagram post, Jen Hosler, and we were talking about you know, um, we're like, women, you won't get bulky if you lift. And it's like, but we had to also be nuanced about this. Like, if your your muscles are probably going to (laughs) grow, right? Like, they're probably going to grow. Um, I know for me, I used to be a teacher and I would have all these like cute blouses with like the little sleek cap sleeves, like, you know, and I, I was like, I can't wear that stuff anymore. I had to, had to get new shirts and, you know, those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, it, it's not yeah, without but challenge. But it's dense though. Muscle tissue is dense. So there's that, right? You know, yeah. <laughs> there is that. Um, and it just makes you all around better at life. And, um, you know, we were talking earlier about like a more expansive life and, and that's really, yeah. um, you know, you're, a, you're, you're feeling like you can, you can be with people and like focus on the moment and not be worried about like what your weight was on the scale this morning or, you know, feeling like you can put that suitcase in the overhead bin. And it's nice that someone offered to help you, but you could do it on your own if you had to, Mm -hmm. um, just like little things like that. Um, you have experience. If I I saw you in a plane, I would not offer to lift your (laughs) suitcase. I'd be like, you got it. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. Uh, I might out of out of politeness, but yeah, right. Um, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's you know that idea of like getting back up to that maintenance level, or of um, you know, shifting in terms of like your mindset on things. And I have a couple of newer students who, uh, who on their own accord, they're both friends, and they were like, "Oh, we decided like to get rid of our scale," and then they went through their closet and like took all the clothes that weren't fitting them and they put them aside. And in mm-hmm. those sorts of things. And it is a shift in, in your mindset it is a shift in like your approach. And especially if you've been used to being really restrictive, um, flipping that around and saying like yeah. having a, a, an, a, an inclusive or an additive approach or thinking about like, yeah. what can I, what additive. can I include here that I haven't included mm-hmm. before? Yeah. Is it, like is crowd, a different way of looking things at things out by adding things in. Yes. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Hey, this is Philip, and I hope you're enjoying this episode of Wits and Weights. If you're looking to connect with like-minded listeners on their health and fitness journeys, come join our free Facebook community. It's a supportive space where you can share your experiences, ask questions, 
and access free guides and weekly trainings. Just search for Wits and Weights on Facebook or find the link in the show notes. Now back to the show. You you mentioned much earlier when we started that you when you started working with your nutritionist, you weren't all entirely compliant because of fears and <laughs> fears and limitations. Is this yeah. what we're talking about? Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. when he came back to me and um we looked at my food logs and I've like literally taken screenshots of these so people can see like I'm not just making this up. Um there was definitely a day in my week where I was like a, about a thousand calories ish. Um there were many days where I was like 60 grams of carbs. And I'm training yeah. at, I'm con- training for competitive level CrossFit. Yeah, and that's keto basically, yeah. But I had done so much. I had been eating so low carb for so long that that was just kind of how I, again, it wasn't even just a, well, everybody's talking about, you just need to like cut your carbs so you can be lean, which was one of the things I I definitely talked. I was like, I just still want to like stay lean. And I was like really concerned about body composition, which again is, is we're talking about performance here, mm-hmm. but also this like mixing this with aesthetics, right? So that's something to be aware of. but. My carbs were really low. My protein was pretty low as well. And that just gave me an overall really low energy intake. Mm. And so the thing I was like running headfirst into was to change my protein intake, which is generally what I recommend for my clients anyway, um, is like, if we're going to start anywhere, like let's, let's start with a little bit more protein mm. and see how that goes. But when I <laughs> kind of like went through this three phase um, uh, approach to working with him, uh, the next time we checked in, and he's like, so, um, so what's going on with this like carb intake? And I, I was doing a little bit better, but still yeah. far too low. I mean, again, it was like less than a hundred grams of carbs right. a day. And you had to be was, in the two hundreds or something, right? Yeah. Like okay, it yeah. was, <laughs> it was, uh, it was definitely the thing that I was the most resistant to. And this was back in the day, like we weren't doing, you know, we wouldn't have Voxer or WhatsApp check-ins or those sorts of things. It was like at once a month, I would email him with like the mm-hmm. progress. So, um. I think what I what I needed was more support in terms of just talking through those those challenges, those mindset challenges or the beliefs that I had or you know even something as simple as and he did talk about this like in the feedback but again you kind of need to talk to a real person and just work through it sometimes or hear that other people are going through this but um is like well this is why we need carbs especially in our post workout and those sorts mm-hmm. of things but it was still it was still scary because i had been in that like eat low carb eat low carb for so long um that shifting that was was a mental bit of a mental hurdle at the time it took it took a lot of time yeah for sure <laughs> yeah I, I hear what you're saying i and i've seen that as well and it does mm-hmm. seem to be more the case with women than men for whatever reason both the protein side with like meat eating habits, you know, like men uh-huh. are happy to scarf down just tons of meat without thinking about it. There's a difference, yeah. right? And then yeah. and then the carbs, especially especially if you're conditioned with the low carb or the keto diets uh-huh. of, of late. And yeah. when you make that change, all of a sudden it's like, why is everything feeling better? Why am I sleeping better? All of a sudden I can lift more. Da, 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 da. It just spirals into to good stuff. Um, I'll, yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Some of it is very cultural. And yeah. um, I've even yeah. had clients tell me that they would go out to eat and this has actually happened to me. You go out to eat, you order, someone else brings the food out, and they give you the the wrong dish. Like I've had, for example, I've gone out and ordered, you know, a steak with potatoes or something, and my dining p- companion, who's a guy, ordered oh, a okay. salad. And they bring the salad <laughs> to me, right? There's just assumptions. Or um, I had a client tell me one time that she was she was reluctant to eat all the food on her plate because she felt it would be emasculating to the person mm. she was eating with. So we have all of these really baked yeah. yeah, narratives yeah. about like, if you're a woman, you have to eat really dainty, tiny portions and how that intersects with diet culture and then how that affects how we eat as, as athletic people. Mm-hmm. And it's impossible to just talk about it in a silo when we start to pull back and see all those layers and how they, sure. they affect each other. Sure. So I want to get a little bit into some couple questions my community wanted me to ask you because they were okay. super excited that you were coming online or coming on the, the podcast. Uh, just we'll a couple. And then I have a few others then. 
Um, one is about food intolerances. So, yeah. you know, I've got clients, for example, with Hashimoto's, right, who have mm-hmm. to avoid all sorts of things, gluten, grains, beans, dairy. It kind of sounds like the paleo diet that I used to eat. Yeah. In a way. yeah. You're even more limited. And that limits their carb options, which is exactly what we're talking about, which is why I want to segue. It's like, okay, yeah. you want me to eat 300 grams of carbs. I eat almost no foods that can give me carbs. What do yeah. I do? Yeah. yeah. Um, this is, yeah, this is tough. And I do have a lot of students who have food intolerances, uh, clients as well. So like you said, whether it's, it's dairy, which can make protein a challenge, um, or just harder, right. It limits your options. Um, or, you know, like, like you said, um, gluten containing grains, I think that the end of the day, you have to just find what works and run with that. And that could mean, for example, if you can tolerate, I don't know, we're talking about like tubers. So potatoes, sweet potatoes, et cetera, like let's get you as much variety within your limitations mm-hmm. as possible and, and work to, toward the most variety as you possibly can get and understanding too. And I see this a lot with these, um, with individuals that have this challenge is sometimes they gravitate a little bit. Uh, they lean into, I'll say because of necessity, um, really fibrous like fruits and vegetables mm. as as kind of the basis of what they're doing and again if they're doing uh long training endurance training or you know intense training it's like how do we get the um how do we get the density of carbohydrates that we need especially around training and the digestibility yeah yeah and yeah. so sometimes it's like you know this food is just so high volume which is fiber is great right we need a fiber no so no important. we need something else yeah yes yeah. but like so um, it could be, um, for example, like maybe they're able to tolerate something like banana. Um, so eating banana post-workout or something like that instead of a fluffy salad, because the salad might have some carbohydrate in it, you know, primarily from fiber or what you put on top of it. But um, maybe they're able to tolerate something like white rice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like looking for those options. And yeah, I, I have so much empathy for people who are in that position because it's just a little bit more limited in terms of what they can oftentimes tolerate. But um, usually, you know, if we work closely enough, we're able to sort of like explore other options. And I'll say this too. There were definitely foods I gravitated away from when I was eating more low carb, not uh, not necessarily because of necessity, but because like, that's just what you did. Right. And I would go through the grocery store and it was like, I couldn't even see these. Yeah. You just blanked it out. (laughs) You just blanked it out, right? And so I oftentimes have that conversation with people that are like, oh, I stopped eating fruit. Really? And so, like, right there. Right. So, you know, potentially, you know, could you add in um, maybe some fruit or, like I said, potatoes? I know so many people that were like, oh, I, you know, I reintroduced them. I know on um, autoimmune protocol, I think that's one of the things you eliminate for a while. And then you can kind of welcome back in potentially and just test and see how you do. And there are some denser carbohydrate options that aren't like gluten containing grains um, for people. So, No, that's good. Regarding variety, just what came to mind is, of course, there's many ways to cook things too, right? So if you're going to eat potatoes, (laughs) it's not like in a prison where they're going to give it to you the same way every day. You get to (laughs) fry and this, not fry, but you know, uh, cook them a million different ways. Yeah, totally. And I will say for people that are trying to just get in enough calories, like that's a concern for them. You know, sometimes we talk about like, oh, liquid, like don't eat your calorie or don't, you know, don't drink your calories. You should be eating your calories. Mm-hmm. And it's like, actually, it's just some people that can end up working against them. So if you're somebody who is struggling to get enough food to meet your activity level, and you do have some more limited options, like, could you put it in a smoothie and drink it yep. po- you know, post-workout or something just so you're able to like, chew a little bit less yeah, <laughs> and increase the density. Yeah. Yeah. Again, yeah. most, some people will be like, I need to do the opposite. And that's why customizing and, and personalizing is so important. Cool. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's something like there's highly branched cyclic dextrin too, I guess, as an mm-hmm. option for, yeah. um, for carbs. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then what about, uh, um, women fueling or fueling their training based on their menstrual cycle oh. or their menopause status? Uh, kind yeah. of two different things. Yeah. So this is really, really interesting because if we look at, for example, um, what happens in terms of the menstrual cycle and we're looking at protein oxidation or carbohydrate oxidation. So for example, let's take protein. Uh, Protein oxidation or protein breakdown seems to increase in the luteal phase of the menstrual cycle. And I have seen, (laughs) that's like a bad game of telephone. I think people are well-intentioned. 
But what I have seen on social media is it, that translates into literally, I saw one time there was a post that said, you should eat twice as much protein in the luteal phase. And I was like, <laughs> this massive reaction to it. Wow. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, that's, that's right. That's a big, that's a big leap, especially if you're already getting a pretty adequate amount of protein. So um, I think we need to be a little bit cognizant of this cycle, like cycle-based eating, cycle-based training, even like we do not currently have enough research to draw universal recommendations on exercise, um, like how to how to shift all of your exercise depending on what week of the menstrual cycle you're in. Would, would there ever be because it's can vary so much from person to person? Well, that's the thing that it's yeah. as of as of what we know right now, the best recommendations that we have are an N equals one approach to that training. Yeah. Um, and again, this is kind of where you see like those circle graphs on social media. It's cut into four four pieces. And each wedge is like one week at the menstrual cycle. And it's like, in week mm. one, you should do this. In week two, you should do this. In week three, you should do this. And I'm like, most people are struggling to even find like some kind of consistency in their schedule than to have to plan four different weeks of like exercise. Now, does that mean we shouldn't be flexible? Of course not. Like there's going to be some days where, or some weeks where maybe you feel great the last week of your cycle, maybe you feel terrible. Um, you you kind of play it by ear and give yourself flexibility. And that's where that N equals one approach is really important. Um, you know, there are some things you can think about in terms of just overall nutrient intake, like making sure. And it, yeah. But I think what it comes down to is, again, like those basic principles, like you said at the top of the show, and I'm really big on principles as well. Like when we include more variety, we get, we, we cover more of our micronutrients. Mm-hmm. Right versus having a just a, a few different foods that we eat, um, you know, making sure we're getting adequate protein intake and getting as high quality protein as we can means we're getting adequate amino acid intake. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, there are some some things to consider. You mentioned menopause. I mean, we have a risk of cardiovascular disease that increases as women once we're in that menopause window, which is then going to be for the rest of our life, we see an increase in cardiovascular risk. So saturated fat intake, for example, could be really important to just kind of keep an eye on that. Calcium intake (laughs) going to be important um, for bone health, along with other factors, right? So these these things don't exist in a silo in terms of how they're being uh, metabolized and used in the body. Um, That protein intake we talked about, if somebody is experiencing, for example, um, insulin resistance, isn't necessarily, is it necessary to like not eat any carbohydrates ever again? Um, probably not. That's probably not going to be really work for people. Um, Mm -hmm. there are some people who I think are like, I find this incredibly liberating, but, um, that's where we have to be really careful about making sure you're eating enough again to like cover your, your carbohydrate need, but that might just be, um, less sugar, less like refined sugar, less alcohol, Mm -hmm. more whole foods, more fiber. Um, and it doesn't sound that doesn't sound trendy slash sexy or proprietary. Unfortunately, it, this is just kind of like common sense or basic, like sound nutritional advice and First it, principles. Yeah, yeah. You like, know, so, and, and oftentimes people ask these questions, sure. and it's the wrong question because they yeah. may not be doing these other things first. Right. Well, yeah. and you know, there are things like energy balance. So you know, if um, weight weight increase is a, is a concern is like, are we just make you know, how are we, um, helping you kind of eat enough volume of satiating foods, right. So that you're, you know, not just constantly eating cause you don't feel satisfied. Um, so those things can be on the table depending on what the person comes in with. But, um, I will say a lot of people, um, who I run into in this category are also dealing with like food as an emotional um, coping mechanism um, and other things that are, are more than just knowing how much food to put on your plate, which is again, why that support and working with somebody who can, who can help you tease through all these things can really be useful. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, we can, we can shout from the rooftops, all the strategies, exactly what you need to do from A to Z. And you can have the answer to every single question. As you know, mm-hmm. that isn't always enough when you're dealing with these other issues. So underlying, sure. underlying all of this is being an athlete and mm-hmm. aging and how we uh, maximize this phase of life is lifting, right? We haven't really talked too much about lifting <laughs> like in specific, but let's do it. Yeah. So 
what are the, I mean, and I've talked about it a lot on the show too, but I want to hear from you. Like, what are the real big benefits of lifting, especially for women over 40? And then yeah. we can segue into some basic recommendations on getting started there. Yeah. So I think I mentioned earlier, we need enough mechanical tension as part of, you know, how our muscle is actually going to like grow and repair and, and build. Um, so it's important that we're, we're lifting challenging enough weights. Again, like for a lot of people are like, ah, like I already know, I already know this, but lifting challenging enough weights so that you're able to have the stimulus to then rip, you know, you have your repair, you have your fatigue, you have your repair, and then you have your adaptation. So we need enough stimulus to provide that adaptation. And unfortunately, because society has a narrative that people who are like over 40 are basically one foot in the grave, which is ridiculous. Um, you know, we should only do easy stuff. You should only do gentle exercise. You know, this is going to hurt your joints. Like we have, it's we dangerous. Have, it's going to hurt oh, your back. You're, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, like yeah. You've, you've got a bad knee from, you know, something that happened when you were 20. Like, and of course there can be pain without injury and injury without pain. And like, that's all a pain size is very complex and I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in this, but disuse is also a huge problem. Like if we're not using our muscles, we're not using our body, like things are going to start to hurt. Um, you know, we get those aches and pains. Do you need to go bench press 400 pounds in your garage? Of course not. Um, but we need to be sensible about this stuff and understand that physiologically, if we expect our body to get stronger, we have to apply a stimulus that we <laughs> can then get an adaptation from. And so if we're only ever lifting tiny little weights and I get served these reels on Facebook, Facebook must think, you know, it knows I'm in my mid forties <laughs> and it serves me the craziest reels. like. I can't even tell you. I saw one the other day that was like, do this exercise to tone your turkey neck. And I was, oh I took a screenshot and sent this to some. This is the content that we're getting, right? Um, where it's all, everything is a tiny weight. Yeah. Colored, colored dumbbells. And everything yeah. is done for like 20 to 30 reps, which mm -hmm. is, is, an, you know, are, is muscular endurance invalid? Of course not. But when we see these things, again, as women over 40, we're like, there's still a lot of verbiage, like, I want to get toned. I want to, you know, book right. XYZ. And then painting the picture of what it takes to actually get there um, is very misleading. So are we, do we have enough stimulus? Are we lifting heavy enough? Are we following progressive overload? Are we taking care of our soft tissue, right? Because as we lose estrogen through the menopause transition, uh, our, our ligaments, tendons, and you see, I have, <laughs> I've, hurt my finger at jujitsu a couple months ago. Um, so I'm dealing, I think with some of this as well, but it's like, we're just, are those, those connective tissues aren't quite as forgiving as they used to be, right? Maybe our, the rest of our life has become very sedentary. Then we go in the gym and we expect our body to do a lot of stuff. So are we taking care of our soft tissue? Are we introducing exercises that help us to stay, stay powerful and to also help with our bone density, right? So plyometrics, um, are we including those again? These are like things that I'm talking to my, my students and my clients about, and they're like, Oh, but I heard jumping is bad for you. And I'm like, well, um, we are going to have to help you start doing it with good mechanics, but sitting and doing nothing is also not helping. Um, uh, we will tend to lose type two fibers, right? That shift from type two X. Mm -hmm tends to, sh to slide toward type two, type one. Um, and so are we able to move powerfully? Are we avoiding that dynapenia, right? Which is the kind of sister to sarcopenia, which is the loss of explosive power. Um, you know, if we feel like we're slowing down, but are we training in that way? Um, are we doing cardiovascular training? And that's like a whole other thing too, but it's not like one or the other. There's yeah. a reason why the exercise guidelines in this country, as well as in Canada, and I'm sure other countries includes both. Um, so we have to stop painting one against the other. We have to stop thinking that we're like too fragile to do this. In fact, doing these sorts of things in a sensible way with a, with a good plan and, and paying attention to our bodies and giving enough recovery and the nutrition to support it is how we become more resilient yeah. physically. Um, yes, you may have to adapt things. And so I hear this a lot also from people in my community, which is like, I can't do squats. 
And I'm like, guess what? There's like a hundred other ways we can work your, you know, like muscles. So like, let's if, find. If that's even, if that's even a true statement and you, you want to be empathetic to I people. I know, yes. But then you also <laughs> yeah. want to unravel that and be like, what do you mean? Because I, know. I, I just had somebody like three weeks ago who uh, was saying that and it was like my hip flexors and this and that and the other. And like, can mm-hmm. you squat to a box without yeah. any weight? Yeah, no problem. Mm-hmm. I said, can you, you can squat. I think yeah. you can squat. Put a broom yeah. handle and add a, start adding a little weight. Let's see if you can do that. And then the next step and the next step. But I think, totally. you know, people are afraid because they haven't yes. probably haven't squatted since they were like eight. Mm-hmm. And it's just a weird position and there's lots of balance issues and all this other stuff, right? Yeah, so well, pain, I just is, to throw that pain in is scary there, right? too, yeah. right? People yeah. are afraid. Of, pain is like a, yeah. not a fun thing. And unfortunately, and this is like even um, kind of a shift in like how PT is being addressed. And again, I'm not a physical therapist, but um, mm-hmm. friends with people who are more in the new school, which is like, we have to be really careful about psychologically what we put in people's minds about, about pain or about what it right. means or about like right. giving them that like then lifelong sense of limitation you can't or shouldn't. I have a, a client who was told she shouldn't hinge. And I was like, well, how do you do your, how do you do your farmer's carries? How do you, yeah. she says farmer's carries with kettlebells. I'm like, well, how do you do your farmer's carries? And she was like, oh yeah. Okay. So she's like, she's hinging, right? How do you, how do you, how do you do anything? How do you pick something up off pick the floor? Something up. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously like, are we going to load this client with, um, her max conventional deadlift, like on day one? Of course not. But looking for ways to to modify movements, to work up to movements, to yeah. you know drill sound mechanics, but without making people afraid, I think is so lacking in especially in people over forty and and then like just learning that hey if you've and I see this all the time it's like you've come off a period of inactivity, which is fine. But we also have to like pull you back a little bit sometimes mm-hmm. if you have that athlete mentality. Sure. It's the other side of it. Yeah. Because you're like, all right, I'm going to go gusto. Like I, my first workout back was Murph. Like, let's not do that because <laughs> oh, you're probably you're not going to walk for three weeks. Oh, yeah. Right. Or oh, it's so funny. I, uh, so, and there's a there's a cause and effect that sometimes it's turned around. Like you mentioned a bad, like my knees are bad. So yeah. I'm not going to squat. Whereas it's like, well, why don't we squat to help your knees? You know, like that that mentality. Um, how many, do you find that this is just so common still that people don't understand the very basic, uh, premise of lifting heavy and, you know, stimulus adaptation recovery and all that? Like yes. I do. <laughs> so do you? Yeah, absolutely. It's crazy. I, yeah. Yeah. I, this is the reason yeah. why it's a principle that I teach in my course. Yeah. I teach to my students because I, they might very well not be, um, programming for themselves. In fact, there's a very low likelihood that right. they're doing their own programming. And in fact, some of them I'm like, stop pro- stop baking up your own workouts. Yeah. <laughs> Follow this plan or go work yeah. with this coach like yeah. because they're credible and Yeah, there's good coaches, there's even yeah. good templates just you Yeah, stop Bulgarian yeah. split squatting 6 times a week or stop heavy deadlifting 5 times a week like mm. if it's truly heavy enough you're not going to be able to recover from it no. anyway that with that frequency. So, um but I want them to feel empowered when they go into a gym or they work with their coach or their trainer or they see the workout of the day that they're able to understand and rationalize also how the recovery pieces and the nutrition pieces fit Good in point. there mm-hmm. so that they're able to sometimes make that choice of like, you know what? Yeah, I haven't slept great in the last few days. Like I've been having hot flashes. It's keeping me up at night or work has been bananas and I've not really eaten very well. Like I don't feel great. My energy is super low. Um, maybe today isn't the day that I'm going to push for a one rep max or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, you know, lead it to RPE a little bit more or those sorts of things and, and adapt the workout. So helping them understand physiologically how it works is really important because a lot of people aren't, professionals in this field like they don't have that that education and adult learners really need to understand the rationale the reasons why if they're going to adopt okay. something especially okay, totally. if it's a, a new thing and it's a little bit like i don't know this kind of contradicts with like a lot of the stuff i've ever seen out in the world or i've been told about how the body works so i, I totally agree because otherwise you're left in this um this level of uncertainty where the information out there just comes in fast and furious. Yeah. And 
if you don't know how any of it works, you're just going to pick something, right? By explaining it and saying, this is why this is the absolute, not absolute best, but really it is. I mean, there are some principles that are just superior, Mm -hmm. right? And with confidence, like we do on podcasts and like you do with your coaching and training, then they can, you know, maybe do it on their own. That's cool. Or maybe get the help that they need. So an hour has flown by really fast here, Steph. (laughs) I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, and and you've got your podcast too that reaches out to a lot of people as well. Is there, what do you do for fun outside the fitness space? (laughs) Gosh, a lot of the things that I do even for fun are, are fitness focused. I feel like, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I was, I was put on this planet at this time to encourage, (laughs) encourage people to, um, you know, to be active and, and to feel like the, to the benefits of that, whether or not it's, you, whether or not you ever compete is just like how movement benefits your life. And it doesn't have to be horrible and something that you hate or, uh, or that, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So out, let's see, I really like to, uh, I really like Lord of the Rings. Um, <laughs> I really, I really <laughs> the best enjoy, trilogy ever, right? Yeah. The best trilogy ever. Um, I, uh, like secretly like to put together Legos, uh, Lego sets and, and stuff with my husband. Um, yeah, okay. I like live right. a pretty, pretty low key life. Like it's, well, uh, nice. you know, it's, um, just trying to enjoy every day as much as possible. And, um, you know, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu outside of lifting. I do rucking and I'm involved with some rucking events as well. So beautiful. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Cool. Well, <laughs> um, just to respect your time, I'm going to ask you my, the same question I ask every guest. And that okay. is what one question did you wish I had asked and what is your answer? Oh gosh. Okay. I think. One of the things people, uh, one of the things I wish people would talk more about is this idea of optimizing um, and sort of like biohacking um, and like what my thoughts are on that. So, um, you know, it's really easy to (laughs) see this list of like 18 things you're supposed to do before eight o'clock in the morning. And, Mm -hmm. you know, um, recently I made a, I made an Instagram story about, you know, this, this concept of like, you're not supposed to, shouldn't drink coffee for 90 minutes upon waking. And uh, those sorts of things. And yes, there's like a physiological basis to this, but the person I saw talking about it said like drinking coffee before then is literally pointless is the words that this person used. And I was like, wait a minute. So I think, you know, we have to be a little bit careful sometimes in our zest to biohack everything because of a few factors. Um, but one of the most important ones I think is like, we kind of miss some of the other strategies and principles as we talked about that are even if we can nudge them a small percentage are going to pay back dividends to like how we feel our health and well-being um much greater than some of the like the little hacks and um you know optimizing things that mm-hmm. we see that gain popularity you know or they come back around like um yeah like cold plunge or Um, you know, like morning sunlight and red light therapy, yeah, like all these things, like they're, you know, in, in a lot of ways, like there's a basis for these things, but for a lot of the average, more average folks that I work with, and I don't say that in a negative way, like I consider myself to be an average person who just really likes fitness. I'm not, I'm not incredibly gifted at any one thing and I don't get paid to work out. Um, I think that sometimes we, we kind of see like what's hot and what's popular and think like, I I feel a lot of pressure. Like I should do this thing too. And if I'm not, then I'm not doing a good enough job or I'm somehow, (laughs) I'm somehow failing at this, or I'm feeling a lot of undue, like stress or anxiety about having to do all of these things. And so I guess if you have like the money, it feels like real fun to you. And it's something that you're curious about and it feels like it fits in really well with your life. That's cool. But I also want to encourage people to sometimes just like take a beat mm-hmm. and think about like, am I doing some of these basics? And can I nudge these basics a little bit better first before I put a lot of stress and pressure on myself to have to like go through this list of biohacking things and optimize every single yeah. um, strategy. So yeah, I think that's just one that I'm seeing a lot lately. Um, and I'm hearing from people is I feel that's like a, good a lot point. Yeah. feel a lot of pressure to to do all of these things. And I'm like, what if you did like three things and did them really well? Yeah. And they're like, oh, 
yeah, I didn't think about that. I hear <laughs> so. you. I hear you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just so, and there's so many like the grounding, and it, there's everything else. If you just did it all, you you'd spend four hours a day just by. Yes, <laughs> you know? you're right. It kind of it gives you this little bit of anxiety of like all this stuff. So I yeah. like what you said. Um, you know the nutrition and strength pyramids, or there's very, very, uh, there's similar models to that where supplements sure. are at the top. Yeah. So biopacking hacking would be like like a a beetle <laughs> on top of the pyramid, you know, like standing <laughs> yeah. on the tip. Or totally. Um, okay, cool. So where can listeners learn about you, Steph? Yeah, so you can check out my podcast. It's Fuel Your Strength podcast. Um, fun fact is that this week is the eighth anniversary of the podcast nice. in its different iterations. So. It feels like a really long time. So we have the podcast. Um, I'm probably most active on Instagram, on social media. And then, of course, my website, stephgodra.com. Awesome. Those will definitely go in the show links. And yeah, you were super responsive to me. So I appreciate it. Yeah. It was awesome having you on the show. Thank you. Get a you. nice, refreshing take on you know, women over 40, lifting, being an athlete, all this awesome stuff, fueling yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you again for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Wits and Weights. If you found value in today's episode and know someone else who's looking to level up their wits or weights, please take a moment to share this episode with them. And make sure to hit the follow button in your podcast platform right now to catch the next episode. Until then, stay strong. Hey, before you go, I want to let you know about a free resource I have. They are free guides on everything from fat loss to eating out to building muscle to managing hunger to figuring out the best macros for you and more being added all the time. You want to get the most out of these podcasts and your time to look and feel your best. And these free guides will give you a quick and easy way to know what to do. If you want to get your hands on these completely free guides, you can head over to witsandweights.com slash free. That's witsandweights.com slash free to get your free guides and level up your results today.